You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and joined today by both Mark Christensen and Matt Groon. Always good when we can all be here at the same time in the same place. And uh, we are in our Monday episode we call Hear and Obey, where we're talking through the passage of Scripture from Sunday, which this week is Exodus 20, verse 3, a short passage. I'm, I'm going to read verses one and two as well, like I did on Sunday. This is the the first commandment here in verse three. It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Lord, thank you for your word. We do pray that it would dwell in us richly, that you would teach us and instruct us and convict us and transform us by the power of your word that we might live for you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I think as we jump into this, we talk about this passage often, James 1. This is, you know, when we we talk about the habits of our discipleship huddles, hear, um, hear and obey is one of those habits. We want to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. And that comes from James chapter one. And James refers to the law there when he says, James one twenty two, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James talks about the law as a mirror. And that's, that's one of the uses of the law. We understand that, um, you know, when, when you look at God's law, it's this mirror that's reflecting back your sinful condition. (laughs) You see the mess on your face and the point of looking in a mirror, say you're, you know, going to an important job interview or going out on a date you look in a mirror so that you can see is anything out of place is anything dirty does anything need to be fixed or or changed and and james just paints this ridiculous picture of a guy who looks in the mirror checks his face has mud smudged all over it and then he walks away and does nothing about it and goes on his day forgetting that there's mud all over his face you know that that that's kind of the the ridiculous picture james wants us to have that to come to god's law and not be affected to do nothing to realize, oh, I'm I'm a lawbreaker. Mm-hmm. I, I need grace, right. and then to go on your way without doing anything is absurd. Like that, so um, I, I just think it's a, a fitting reminder as we start walking through the Ten Commandments. The the Word of God is like a mirror, mm-hmm. and so we we do want to just not not kind of keep our conversation up thirty thousand foot. Um, lofty theological ideas, but th- those things touch our lives and, and should change us. So by way of introduction, here we are, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Observations, <laughs> kind of where we always, where we start. Well, it's, I think worth saying too, Ryan, from that James 1 passage, that phrase that, that you picked out in your sermon, I think rightly so, because it feels so uh, backwards, the law of liberty. Um, those two words feel like they're what kind of uh, in incongruent, right? How can a law be liberating? Um, namely, that like liberty being freedom, right? From libertas, the, the Latin for freedom. H- how can that be? Because aren't laws, by their very nature, constraining? Like this law is. Mm. Um, like all most of the the Ten mm. Commandments, there is a it's said in the negative, 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's saying it, it, the first commandment is not I am first, mm-hmm. although that's the implication. It's rather you shall have no other gods before me. It's said in the negative and it, it has this immediate constraining effect, right? Mm-hmm. It, it immediately puts borders up and we just live in such a, um, I don't know what the proper word is, probably postmodern society that wants to destroy all barriers and treat them. If there's a fence up, it's there to oppress me. It's yeah. there to, to hold me back. Um, and yet James can say something like the, this perfect law, the law of liberty. I think you were exactly right when you mentioned how it, it's like walking across a two by four. Um, and I, you feel it's, it's terrifying that thought, but being in a broad place mm. with a, with a um, like if, if I were, if I were just given a, a two by four to go over a chasm, I would take a lot of time very slowly. <laughs> yeah. uh, Lots of trepidation. Exactly. But if, if there was a mass, like a, a, a huge bridge, 40 feet wide, yeah. um, a broad, a broad way, you're free yeah. in, in a way that is different than what we want to have our freedom. So it, it informs me, you know, just by mention of your, that introduction, it informs me how we're to approach the law of God, particularly mm. this first one, because I think you're right. This does function as the cornerstone and um, not just one in a series of 10 mm-hmm. and not necessarily one as like a first importance because that's right. true. Well, it's true, but rather a cornerstone being the first stone that's laid by which all others will be measured by. Yeah. Um, when I would, uh, when I was doing concrete down in South Carolina, um, my father and I was driving me, th- we, we had a project in this new development and he, he, he made a comment to me. He's like, I love a new development. And the first thing they, they set, if you've ever driven through a new development is the curbing. Mm. It's the first thing they lay out. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, he's like, yeah, that's the first thing that they put down and everything else is measured, measured off of that, off that. Yeah. And it's measured off that first little section you do. And now everything is, if you're going to go downhill, you got to measure off that thing. So it becomes this cornerstone yeah, point off of reference. Everything's yeah. leaning up against it. Everything's flowing from it. That's um, good. And that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And having that cornerstone that you're talking about, I think it says something about our hearts when we come to any kind of law, whether it's God's law or a law that a ruler or a king gives. Um, in the end, a law is always given by a ruler or by a king for good. It might be unrighteous. It might be self-seeking, you know, seeking their own good or seeking a certain people's welfare. But every law is intended to be given for someone's good. Mm-hmm. And here from the universal, supreme, ultimate lawgiver, God, we can come to the Ten Commandments and not, like you said, Matt, feel this constraint, but we can look at this and see like, this is where life is found. Yeah. Um, God has given this for the good of his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, like I said earlier, it might be an unrighteous law given by an unrighteous ruler, but I think it, it should shape the way reading the 10 commandments, how we think about laws that are given, um, by God appointed rulers. Mm-hmm. Um, we should thank God and pray that they would be giving us righteous rules to live by yeah. for our goods that we might prosper and Mm-hmm. Um, raise healthy families and mm-hmm. churches and communities. So, yeah. well, and that, that too, like you're mentioning, that highlights um, such a presupposition, if you will, uh, like a, a first thing that we must think about when it comes to lawgiving is that is there a lawgiver? And I think this is, Ryan, what was so helpful and, and one of the things that I think is so impactful when we think on the law. Because what, what is the Ten Commandments other than a, a discursus on ethics mm. um, and how we should live? How then shall we live? Um, 
but how much of my life was lived as the Ten Commandments or even just more broadly Christianity um, was for my good as a Christian. Well, this is just what I believe this is, but hey, you guys believe what you believe. Sure. And yeah. the whole subjective objective discussion that you went to in your sermon is just so important because if it's true that God's law, that all of ethics is, must be objective. Like you said, if evil is to be anything other than I don't like that, there must be a law that exists outside of me. Mm-hmm. And so when we approach the Ten Commandments, if all we do is approach them as, well, this is just true for us in this room, yeah. rather than if God is the God that he says at the beginning, I am the Lord your God. If I am the God, the same one who made the, the heavens and the earth, who, you know, like he says in Job 38, I've set the oceans, I, I marked out where they were all going to go. Mm-hmm. I send the snow from my storehouses. If that's actually who God is, if that's true, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. And it changes even how we read the Ten Commandments because, Mark, as you said, all laws are for the good of somebody. And so if it's going to be a law of liberty, we approach this recognizing, well, this is coming from a God and from other passages, we know that he is a good God. He's yeah. not just some, you know, malevolent, angry um, but he is good, but he's mm-hmm. benevolent and he is for our good right. and he, he gives laws for our good. So this first one, you shall have no other gods before me is not just, while it is a statement of his jealousy, right? Mm-hmm. He, he mm-hmm. is a jealous God. Which is which, even more explicit in the second commandment. Exactly. He, he, it is, it is, he, there, it is improper to worship any other God, but him. Yeah. He, he is saying that not just for that reason, but also because it's for our good it's yep. for our actual we were made good. to worship him that's we, right we were made to know him and so anything short of that is not life but it's it's death for us mm-hmm. yeah. yeah ryan you had brought up deuteronomy 6 24 uh, in your sermon yesterday saying and the lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the lord our god for our good always mm-hmm. that he might preserve us alive <laughs> As we are, as this we day. are this day. Yeah. I love that line. We, <laughs> hey, look, we're alive. Here we are. <laughs> we are alive that? right now by God's grace, and God means to keep us alive. And uh, you know, in the context, we, we've been preaching through Exodus, and we've already seen Israel grumbling in the wilderness with those complaints, like, "Did you just bring us out here to kill us?" As though God is against them, mm-hmm. when God's heart toward them has always been to set them free, to preserve them alive, right. to provide for them. And so, yeah, we we do, I, I think we take so much time on this because we recognize in our sin, mm. we are prone to rebel against God's law. Right. We don't like restraints. Like you were saying, Matt, the, um, you know, oftentimes people speak of the 10 commandments as the thou shalt not. You know, that, that it's just all, all the things you shall not do, which is why I There's found only that, 10 of them. So let's yeah. all just calm down. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. yeah. <laughs> it's but, not that but, bad. But, you know, the um, th- that's why I used that quote from Kevin DeYoung yesterday in, in the introduction to just talk about just imagine a world where everybody obeyed these 10 laws. Yeah. And you start thinking through how incredibly wonderful that would be. <laughs> it gives you a, a taste, a sense through imagination of that would be awesome. Who doesn't want that? Um, and, and, and Jesus taught us to pray for that. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want more people to be obeying the moral will of God revealed right here. So I, like you guys are saying, and I, I talked about this yesterday, but I, that's one of the most significant things to me when I think about the, the first commandment connected to all the other nine. You don't break 
any other commandment without first breaking this one. That's right. Um, and, and that's so profound and personally transformational because it means whenever I see some attitude of unbelief in my heart, some sinful reaction in my life, I, I know that at the root, whatever else I'm thinking and, and struggling with and whatever, at the root is a misconception of God. I am not mm-hmm. honoring his, him as God. I'm not desiring his glory above everything else. I'm not trusting him as God. I'm off right there. And so you can, you can kind of pluck at the, the symptoms that come out, mm. the bad attitudes and whatever, kind of the, the, like the leaves of the weed without getting down to the root. But this commandment tells us if you want to deal with sin in your life, get right. down to the root. And at the root is a view of God. Right. And it speaks to both a, a theology, a study, our, our, our belief about God himself, as also um, anthropology, belief about who we are. Yeah. Uh, when we recognize it's not, but going back to the objective subjective, it's not a case of whether, right, but which mm-hmm. it's not, are we going to worship right. gods? It's which God will we yeah. give our worship to? Because we are created to be worshipers. Yeah. We're created to worship something, to give our affection to something, to pour ourselves into something. And and that informs about who we are. So, you know, you're referencing this fruit and root discussion. Well, if we want to change our behavior, it, it's not enough just to try and do other things. Yeah. Um, it, really what happens, what must happen, if we find that I can't obey these 10 commandments, it's not just we'll stop doing that and do something else. Mm-hmm. I, I need to recognize I'm actually worshiping a false God. Yeah. Some false God is affecting me and, if, and I'm worshiping that thing and giving my affection to that thing rather than to God right. himself. And it goes again to speak to, do we believe the law is good or not? And we were, you guys were referencing Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy 1 where, where Moses is again thinking back on and giving his sermon, he, he says to the people in, in Deuteronomy 1 verse 30, he says, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. So he's making promises to them just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you mm-hmm. as a man, in another translation, as a father carries his son mm-hmm. all the way you went until you came to this place. So there's an affection from the father here mm-hmm. the, the law is given not as a, not just as a ruler giving orders, yeah. which of course God is a the bureaucrat, right? Handing down regulations. Exactly. But rather as a father yeah. who has acted already for his people, who has mm-hmm. made them his own He's as come a son. To us. And it's now here's how you belong in the family. Here's how we're going to live. Mm-hmm. And it's I, for your good. That was something I cut out of the sermon for time, but J.I. Packer in his book, Keeping the Ten Commandments, he talks about that, that um, the, the Hebrew word for law, Torah, he says, we, we hear law and we, we tend to think legislation, right. bureaucracy, government. But the word Torah, he points out, it's the same word that's used in the book of Proverbs when um, you know, the, the author of Proverbs is urging his son, my son, pay attention to your mother's instruction and mm-hmm. your father's teaching and the word Torah is used there for the mother's instruction and and Packer just makes the connection Torah has that kind of parental fatherly love like a parent wants to give the best possible advice to their children for their well-being like I I want you to flourish and so here's my loving advice and so I think keeping those I mentioned yesterday you know we need to think of law as liberating we also need to think of law as God's law as loving it is an expression of his fatherly love for us and you hold that in mind you just think about the law so differently and keeping that familial picture there in our mind 
when it says in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, you brought this out and my mind went straight to, you know, you're coming into a king's court, coming before the king. Yeah. Um, that's what it means before me. Mm-hmm. And so with this family, this family picture, you're not bringing any other gods into the family. Yeah. This is an exclusive family. We worship yeah. the one true right. God. Yeah. And how you were mentioning how the law is an act of love from God, then it also, like a father to a son, it, it would be a misstep. That's what Greg was preaching on the other week. It would be a misstep to think, okay, my keeping of the Ten Commandments is what um, brings me into the family. Mm-hmm. If we get mm-hmm. law and grace mixed up, yeah, if we right. get that switched up, well, no, God initiated this mm-hmm. just like my children had no say in which family they were right. born into. And when they disobey and when they sin, it, it's not their 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 uh, uh, admittance or their their keeping within the family is not based yeah. on their obedience. Yeah, you don't have to go down to the courthouse every time they disobey. Right. And like, you know, reissue a birth certificate or something. Right. Okay, now that they've obeyed, now they're yeah. back in the family. Yeah. No, Israel has is because of what God has done in saving them, he has secured them as his people. And now mm-hmm. their obedience, their following the Ten Commandments earns them nothing, yeah. but is rather just as God's salvation of them was an act of love and the giving of the law was an act of grace and love. So their keeping is a non-meritorious act of love yeah. to God. Yeah. Maybe talk about that phrase before me. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mentioned yesterday, uh, it, it has that sense, Mark, like you were just saying, in my presence, um, no other gods in my presence. And I talked some about how transformational that is. The more consciously aware we are of the fact that we live all of life mm. in the presence of God. Mm. How does that affect you? How should that affect <laughs> us? Just thinking in that first commandment way about well, all of life in the presence of God. I, I think, well, the first thing is that it immediately causes everybody to feel uncomfortable, <laughs> right? <laughs> if we recognize the reality of that, yeah. if that's true, then I, I think the knee-jerk human reaction to that is to keep the law at arm's length. Um, because we're trying to keep God at arm's length in mm. the sense of like, well, well, just like the law, we don't want the government coming into our homes and staring at us while we do our daily life. Um, well, only when I go out in the public square, that's when the law is applied. No, mm. the law of God applies at all times in every, th- and, and Jesus then makes the point, not just in your actions, but yeah. all the way down into your yeah, very your thoughts, thoughts and, your and desires. Souls. Yeah. And once, internal, right. Once that all of a sudden happens, uh, the gospel, I mean, this is why the gospel, the law is so offensive because mm-hmm. when the mirror goes up mm-hmm. and it follows us, just like David said in Psalm 139, it follows us everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. It just, wow, I can't get away from it. Yeah, he um, is more inward than your heart. Exactly. It, it really has a, I don't know, maybe I, yeah. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable that's when I think unnerving. That. Yeah. 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 There's, I think that's absolutely in our guilt and sin. It's, it's a yeah. troubling thought. Mm convicting yeah. yeah and i think the purpose too and i think it humbles me immediately knowing that if all of life is to me lived in the presence of god before god um obeying his laws before him you know he knows uh, i love that packer quote of you know you want to sin or you want to dwell on a sinful thought and so you retire to a place where no one is yeah and then even there you try to retire He's, into your heart and even god is like you said earlier more yeah. inward than your heart and yeah it just humbles me to <laughs> makes me more cognizant of mm-hmm. every moment even mm-hmm. when i'm sitting in traffic like that is meant to be lived 
before God. Right. And, and it allows me at least to like join in with Paul in Romans seven, when he goes on this tirade of like, I can't shake it. Mm. <laughs> every time I want to do something right, I don't. And every time I want to, or don't want to do the wrong thing, I do. And he just like, you, you hear the exasperation in his voice or in his writing as he mm. goes and goes and goes. And then he just asks this honest question, wretched man am I, who will deliver me from the body of death? Mm. Who, once we come to that conclusion that you shall have no other gods before me in my presence, well, in all of life, quorum Deo, all of life is lived before the face of God. Well, that just has an inescapable sense to mm-hmm. it. And we, I think we have to reckon with Paul and ask, well, yeah, who, wh- what hope is there? Mm-hmm. And then his next sentence is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. our Lord. So, Christ then. Christ is the answer. So something changed in Jesus that now my living, if I'm united to Christ, my living before God, I'm now able Mm. to obey. Mm -hmm. I'm now able to look at this, this, this list of commandments, this, this law and say, it's for my good. And Mm. I'm able to, Mm -hmm. Um, not because of anything in me, not because of my own might and nothing in me being meritorious in the sense of earning love from God. But now I am able to obey yeah. that, that, you know, you read Paul and you, you, he talks about the law in a million different ways, but he talks about it here of like just this frustration of, mm. of dealing with that indwelling sin, which I think we can all relate to. And then he, he just asks the question, who, who can save us? Well, thanks be to God yeah. through Jesus Christ who saved us. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of Christopher Hitchens, um, the famous atheist mm. when he was alive, he, he expressed some of that sense of like, you know, who wants a God like that, who won't leave us alone, won't let us ever just, you know, do our own thing. He's always looking over our shoulder. And, and, and that really bothered him. That mm-hmm. idea that the, the Christian view of God is this, this God who won't leave us alone. He's everywhere and you can't get away from him. And he hated that. I think that it does reveal something of our awareness of our own guilt. Um, and, and, you know, you see this with little kids, toddlers even have, have an idea of like, you know, don't look at me <laughs> as a, if, if a parent just turned <laughs> their eyes away, it would, it would be okay. Right. Um, and in so many ways we are just like that. And, and it's convicting because of the, I don't know who's first used this phrase, but the functional atheism that it exposes that yeah. while we, are professing Christians and we, you know, we, we are, we do believe in God we believe he exists at, at no given moment. You know, if you stop and ask, are you an atheist? Would we say, yes, I'm an atheist. Right. But it, the, the way we live often betrays the fact that functionally we're acting like atheists who think or, or have forgotten that God is aware. And so right. just when, when you consider like, we do have a remarkable ability to modify our behavior if we are around people whose opinion matters to us Mm -hmm. and and we can you know restrain our temper even or um watch our language or whatever the case may be if there are people around that we think well you know their opinion of me matters so i have to act a certain way and and then if if that changes behind closed doors or in different contexts it just reveals like we don't have god as our god we don't really care about what he thinks or what he sees that that's um that has, in a hopeful side, tremendous power to do a lot of heart change, sanctifying work as we become more consciously aware of God's presence in all of life. Yeah, and even there, I think you brought this up at the end of your, at the end of your sermon about, you know, 
the sins that we commit against others or even some of the heinous sins in the world like murder or mm. you know abortion rape whatever it might be we think of those as awful and then my lying to my coworker or my bitterness towards a friend like mm-hmm. ultimately that's an offense and a crime against god you know deserving of death um yeah so just taking our seri- our sin seriously uh humbling humbly coming before god um and asking for him yeah. for the grace and the power to change that's right well you speak of of this functional atheism it reminds me of, of uh, christian smith's famous uh moral therapeutic deism yeah where we treat god as just a functional butler in the sky where yeah morality yeah there are things that and it speaks to the kind of the sensus divinitatis of like there's a sense of the divine in all of us that we just all reckon with so that yeah of course all people think that you know rape is evil of course blah 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 well morally yes there is some general law therapeutic in the sense of god's main purpose is to make me feel better Mm. and deistic meaning he's out there and i'll get him when i need him Mm -hmm. Um, but mainly we just want him to leave us alone right and and Christian Smith, who's a, a sociologist, that was a, the, he came to that conclusion after interviewing thousands of kind of evangelical 15 to 30, I don't really know what the stats are, but kind of the heart of the youthful up and coming Christianity. Um, I think we've, that's pretty much played out. And what he, he came to that conclusion is this is the functional religion of the yeah. mass, if you will, of the Christian American mass yeah. is this moral therapeutic deism which really to your phrase is a it really is a functional atheism because mm-hmm. it wants to keep god at a distance um at arm's length but the gospel won't allow us yeah. that yeah um yeah yeah M- maybe just in closing I-, I think this is significant um that we we do read the 10 commandments from a new covenant perspective and one of the points we would make is the coming of Jesus and his keeping and fulfilling the law and dying to pay the penalty the law demands must be paid by lawbreakers. Um, that does not set us free to uh, set us free from the obligation to the law. It's not like, well, since Jesus came, now the first commandment is no longer uh, binding and I may now have other gods before <laughs> God. Um, but Jesus does transform the law mm. so the way some people have said it, it's like you know he, his death and resurrection he's raised from the dead and he with him he he resurrects the law in a glorified That's way right. so it's it's changed or the way kevin de young says it in his book is like think of transposing music where there's a key mm. change and all of a sudden everything steps up and it's the same melody but it just got like ramped up somehow and the, you know it, it intensifies and so in jesus he he transposes um, or, or modifies it. And, and I think with this one, what's so shocking is that point that the commandment is the same. We are not permitted to have any other gods other than the one true living God. But in Christ, we see access to God is now exclusively through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right. He is the God-man. He is the mediator. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. There's no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved, mm-hmm. Acts 4.12. Um, that is a profound development. Right. And it's just, a, it's an amazing, and the development is incredible because now, in, uh, we, like I said earlier, we are now able by what Christ has accomplished 
through the empowerment of the spirit, we are now able to keep these commands. We are now mm-hmm. able to obey. And so the expectation in some, and the expectation's always been obey. Yeah. But now it's uh, the expectation on ourselves changes in a sense of like, no, I really can obey this. Mm-hmm. It's not this, well, we can't obey it. Jesus obeyed in our place, like you mentioned. Therefore, I don't, you know, have don't, to. don't lay any law on me. Mm-hmm. Well, well, no, that, that, that was never how Jesus would have framed it. And he is, like you were saying, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. He, mm-hmm. is, he is the way back to God. He is the great high priest. Mm-hmm. So in, in Jesus, all of the law changed. I mean, that's why Christ is the reason why we don't sacrifice animals anymore because the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy it. Yeah. It would take the death of the Son of God to fully atone for our sins. The civil law or the, the administration of that civil law, we, we don't live in ancient Israel anymore, so the, the application in our time looks different. But the moral law was not changed, but like you said, transformed in the sense of now through Christ yeah. and through his death and resurrection, we can now access the Father mm-hmm. and access him in ways that we don't have to go to Jerusalem and yeah. he he can actually, his spirit dwells within us. The law is written on our hearts. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. so now, like I like what Ezekiel prophesied has actually come true where yeah, he has set his spirit in us and now causes us yeah. to walk in his ways and keeps his statutes and God did it. We, we didn't deserve it. We don't, we don't earn That's this right. on our own. Yeah, before anybody turns to Christ, our hearts are hard and we do not desire God. We are idolaters and we do not obey the first commandment. Through Christ, we're forgiven of that and, and Jesus turns idolaters into true worshipers. Yes. And that he, that's what he came to do is to make idol worshipers into true worshipers. And so he changes us. And, and the, the first commandment cannot be kept unless we desire God from the heart. And so mm. that, that is the promise right. of Christ that he changes our hearts and gives us the desire for God that we didn't have and couldn't produce on our own apart from him. Heart of stone to yeah, a heart of heart flesh. flesh. Now feel. we feel, we desire, we yeah. see his glory and perceive him as, as glorious and love him, trust him. Yeah, and Jesus sums up the commandments in you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's He's summing up the first four commandments yes, right. there. Yep. And then he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, summing up five through 10. Mm-hmm. And so really here, um, I love the quote from Augustine, love God and do as you please. Mm-hmm. I think that you can see that here in uh, Exodus 20 of verses one and two, look at what God has done. Therefore we love him mm-hmm. and we love to obey what he says, you know, do as we please, but I don't want anything else besides pleasing That's God, right. Right. glorifying God. And so, um, yeah. like you said earlier, uh, as David said, we're able to run yeah. um, freely under God's law. I think just as we close, it's just one way of application is just asking ourselves, um, is there, are there areas where I am trusting in something other than God? Yeah. I mean, that is just a simple yeah. question, I'm sure, but the one that we've asked multiple times, but it's a reminder to me of like, this is, this is where it all starts. Mm-hmm. Um, obeying God, uh, living the gospel-centered life that we all cherish in mm-hmm. community, that we gather together in order to effectuate in my parenting, in my work, in my, my marriage, and all these things. Am I trusting something other than God to satisfy me? Am yeah. I doing what Jeremiah said the Israelites did? Am I turning away from from the fount of living water to broken cisterns that can hold no water? Um, that that's just a really yeah. a good diagnostic question to ask ourselves. Yeah, and it often takes other people 
to reflect that back yep. to us. Just like we need the mirror of the law to reflect our own smudges. I, I often need community. I need, I don't just often, I always need community to help mm-hmm. me in that. Yeah, and we come back to that again and again because it's not like a one-time thing. It's like daily, right. weekly reorienting our hearts so that God and God alone would be our God. He, all of our trust and delight would be in him. Amen. Thank you, guys.